If you will, please turn with me then in our text this morning, which comes from the Gospel of Mark. We'll be looking at chapter 3, verses 31 to 35. Mark chapter 3, verses 31 to 35. Hear with me then the reading of God's holy word. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister, and mother. Thus far is a reading of God's Word. Well, we all know what it's like to to grow up living in a family. For some of you, that may bring back fond memories as you think back to your own childhood. Perhaps for others, your childhood is something that you'd rather forget. But the family, contrary to many people, and groups and organizations nowadays that seek to dismantle it, right, is a structure that is extremely important and one that has been established by God. In fact, marriage and procreation was the first ordinance that God instituted with mankind. It was on day six that God created the male and female and said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. We then read in Genesis chapter 2, which is a recapitulation of chapter 1 in day 6. Right? Then on verse 24, the Lord tells us what the day was made for, what the, this marriage ordinance was made for. Right? When He says that man was to leave father and mother and cleave to wife, and the two were to become one. Right? So marriage was to be between two people. Right? One man, one woman in a monogamous relationship. And as we faithfully observe this institution that God has ordained, God bestows blessings upon us in it. Right? Marriage is a blessing because it is through this marriage relationship that children are conceived. It was Solomon who said in Psalm 127 verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Now this might be a surprise to some of you who, when you were growing up and you misbehaved, your parents said, well maybe you guys are a punishment and not so much a reward. Right? But, but no, Scripture is clear. Children are a, a reward from the Lord. And then in the New Testament, Jesus Himself affirms this creation ordinance of marriage in Matthew 19. Remember, the Pharisees tested Jesus by saying, right, can, a, can a man divorce his wife for any reason at all? And what does Jesus do? He, he points them back to this creation ordinance. And He says, Have you not read that He who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife 
and the two shall become one flesh. What therefore God has joined, let no man separate. You see, here we have Jesus giving to us a positive articulation of what marriage was established to be. One man, one woman, joined together for life. That is the marriage and the family that the Scriptures endorse throughout. And Jesus Himself knew what it was like to be a part of that kind of family. Jesus had a mother in Mary. He had a father in Joseph, albeit not biological. In fact, in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, we are told that Jesus had brothers and sisters. And His brothers are named James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. His sisters' names are not recorded. And so we see that the family structure is a a good thing. And I think that's why so many other sectors of society try to create or recreate that family atmosphere. We see this especially in schools or universities um, where people who graduated from a university, you know, they can come back to the university and it's like you belong to this tight-knit family. You wear the university's clothes, you have their sweaters at home, maybe you you put the school sticker on your car, you cheer for that school's football team and you despise all rival schools and teams. The same thing with workplaces, right? They try to recreate that, that family atmosphere, even at work. But what all these types of families have in common is that they are temporal, they are earthly, and they are all bound together by something. Right? The, the nuclear family is bound together by blood. It's bound together by, by the same last name. Right? Your, your school family is bound together by that school name or school pride, school spirit. At work, you're, you're bound together by a common goal and objective that you are all seeking after and seeking towards. But that is why no family is more vital crucial and essential than the family of God. Because in the family of God, it is a family that is spiritual and it is one that is bound together by Jesus Christ. This is, of course, what Christ Himself understood. Right? Jesus seeing the spiritual family as preeminent. He wasn't going to allow His natural family to discourage Him or to, or to divert Him from His mission. From his mission. And today in our text, it really picks up in where verse 21 left off, if you remember from last week. Jesus' family came to take Him away. They thought He was too consumed in His ministry. They thought He was going out of His mind. He was going crazy. And then in verse 23-30, to 30, we see this, this dispute takes place between Jesus and the scribes. And now here in verse 31, it picks up with Jesus' family waiting outside. And so word now is brought to Jesus that your family's calling for you. Your family's outside. And what is Christ's response? Right? He says, Who are my mother and my brothers? And it's this response and reaction from Jesus that we're going to look at and consider this morning under two points so that we might better understand this greater family unit and who is composed of it. And we're going to do so then in two points. The first point is the family makeup. The family makeup. And the second point is the family values. 
family values. So point one, the family makeup. Now what's interesting about our text today is that Jesus' natural family are the ones who are outside and it's his spiritual family that's inside. And how do we know that it's his spiritual family inside? Because Jesus looks around, we're told, and says, here are my mother and my brothers. Now, of course, Jesus loved his natural mother and Jesus loved his natural brothers. But what he is doing is he is using this as a teaching moment. He's saying, you do not get into the kingdom of God by being related. And that's an important point to note, especially for you children. You do not enter the kingdom of heaven on the backs of your parents' faith. Today, being a part of a particular family might earn you great benefits. If your dad is a professional basketball player for the Milwaukee Bucks, well then you probably get to go into the locker room after the games and, and meet the players. You probably get to stay after and shoot hoops on the court after the games. Right? You get to do something that no other children get to do based on who your parents are. But such is not the case with the kingdom of God. No one enters the kingdom of God through natural generation. What Jesus is saying is that you only enter the family of God through spiritual regeneration. And why is that? Why is natural generation not good enough to make you a member of the family of God. Well, it's because sinners only beget sinners. See, we in our natural condition are antithetical to all that is spiritual. We are born sinners. And just like Jesus' family who is waiting outside, we come into this world as sinners outside of the family of God. We come into this world impure, unholy, with hearts that, not, that don't even have a spark of love for God. No one, contrary to other people's opinions, have one bit of seed of holiness with inside of you. It's not as if we just have to cultivate the goodness or holiness that's inside of us to become a member of the family of God. Because no matter how good one behaves, and unbelievers can behave oftentimes a lot better than even believers, and that's an indictment on those believers, right? But no matter how good someone behaves, your outward reformation does not constitute a spiritual change. Your outward reformation does not constitute a spiritual change. And a spiritual change is the only way anyone becomes a member of the family of God. And your mom and your dad cannot bring about that change. Your birth made you a member of your natural family. And so now you need a rebirth brought about by the Spirit to make you a member of God's spiritual family. Right? This is the very thing Jesus is telling Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And it's this spiritual regeneration that comes about by the gracious act of God where we are quickened, right, as the, as the Spirit, right, breathes new life into the believer. And it is through this first divine act of God whereby conversion follows, where we have been given now, granted faith 
by which we've been enabled now to be, to be able to believe the Gospel. Right? Paul says, you have been saved by grace through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And as we consider this, isn't this an incredible thing? You have been made a member of the family of God by God. You are a member of His family because He wants you there. Many of us growing up may have felt unwanted, unloved, uncared for. Perhaps some of you sit here today feeling the exact same way. But what a staggering thing to consider that as a believer, even if the entire world were to turn against you, even if your own family was to disown you and despise you, you still have one who loves you. You still have one who cares for you. You still have one who considers you family. And that one is Almighty God. The Father chose you. The Son redeems you. And the Spirit leads you. And the Scriptures make clear that the indwelling work of the Spirit bears witness to you now that you are children of God. Right? Paul says in Romans 8.14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And now our new family is comprised of people from all over the world. All different backgrounds. Yet, we all bear at least two commonalities. You are all sinners. And you have all been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26-28, to For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul is saying, whoever believes, no matter rich or poor, tall or short, executive or janitor, from America or Brazil, black or white, those distinctions ought not to separate us. Because the only thing that matters is we've been brought together and bound together by Jesus Christ. Christ is what binds this family together. Because without Christ, none of us would belong to the family of God. It is only He who has wondrously woven this family together that has accomplished this. Because if we've seen anything over the last few months, all that sinful man likes to do is divide and make distinctions and hate one another and fight with one another. It was God in His supernatural power that brought this family together. And so what this first point ought to teach us is that Christ comes before all others, even your own family. Right? It wasn't your mother it wasn't your father. It wasn't your children who died for you. It was Christ. Christ is the one who atoned for your sins. It is because of His work of redemption that you now belong to the family of God. This is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, Whoever loves 
Father or mother, more than me, is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So many people today engage in the idolatry of the family. You have parents out there who love their kids more than anything else in the world. So much so that they'll defend their sinful behavior. They'll, they'll even lie for their kids, right? But we see that Christ preferred doing the will of God, which meant salvation of souls to all things, even if that meant disappointing His family. And this ought to teach us that we ought to likewise prefer Christ and doing the will of God to all things, even if that means disappointing or angering or being disowned by our very own family. And we don't do it because we don't love our mothers or fathers. Or we don't do it because we don't love our children. But we do it just for the reason Jesus did it. Because we have a greater desire to do the will of God. So this takes us to point two then. Family values. Jesus says in verse 35, For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now it's not always the case, but I think more often than not, right, families share and maintain similar values. And that happens right, because parents teach their children what they believe. And so it's parents, mothers and fathers who shape and mold and direct and guide their children so that then the children begin to act in accordance with their family's beliefs and values. And much in the same way, those who belong to the family of God right, are shaped and molded by God through His Word so that we now are to act in accordance with those beliefs and values. And acting in accordance with our family values, means doing the will of God. This is what Jesus says. Right? The one who does the will of God is my mother and my brother. And the law of God, or the, the Ten Commandments, is the summary of the will of God. And this law of God, broken down in its simplest sense, in, the, in its simplest form, says that we are to love God and we are to love our neighbor. But this is why not just anyone can do the will of God, but only those who have been renewed in the image of, the, of God. Only those who have been renewed in the image and likeness of God. And this is an important point you ought to take note of. Right? Adam was made in the image of God, which means he was endowed with wisdom, righteousness, and holiness. Prior to the fall, Adam had right judgment. His mind and his soul and his affections were good. He was morally upright in all things. He had the law of God written on his heart. This is why Adam was able to know God and obey God. Okay, But since the fall, the image of God in man has been corrupted by sin. And as a result, man cannot rightly know God nor do the will of God any longer. And then this is what, where we get total depravity from, right? Where now because of the fall, every part of our being is tainted by sin. And it's only through this spiritual regeneration now 
That we are created anew in the image of God once more. Okay? Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 verse 10 that we have put on the new self which is renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Okay? Just as sin touched every part of our being, it is now through the spiritual regeneration that every part of your being is touched by that renewal. It's by that renewal in the image of God that we come now to know God rightly, to know ourselves rightly. Where we come to be able to understand our sin and obey the will of God as the Holy Spirit now enables us and brings us along in sanctification and holiness. Yet also, we must understand that just as we pointed out that no one can enter the family of God apart from the work of God. Likewise is the case. No one can do the will of God apart from the work of God. Right? This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. You see, this is the issue that all people apart share who are apart from Christ. No matter how much good they do, no matter how much good fruit it appears they bear, if the tree is bad, all of the fruit is bad also. As we just saw, for those with whom the image of God has been severely deformed, right? anything they do cannot be good works. And why is that? Well, we said an evil tree can't bring forth good fruit. The tree must be good in order to bring forth good fruit. Right? Because obedience is never acceptable before God unless it proceeds forth out of faith. Right? What do we read in Hebrews? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And anyone who truly, sincerely, and genuinely loves God will never fail to produce good works. Because your soul will delight in loving God, and in obeying God, and in serving God, and in fearing God, and in doing the will of God. This is why the great German theologian Martin Luther once said, we are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. And I think this is the point that Jesus is giving across here before the crowd that is sitting around Him. When He answers the question, who are my mothers and my brothers? Because He understands the proclivity of sinful man to pervert the grace of God with respect to holiness and its vigorous pursuit, even unbelieving, I mean, excuse me, even believing sinful men and women usually will say one of two things. Right? They'll either say, we don't, we don't make great gains in our holiness here on earth. So why should we struggle so hard with putting to death sin? Because God doesn't care. He's already covered us by His grace. Or you'll get people on the other side saying, I have done so much for God. I have done so much for His kingdom. I have advanced so much in holiness. Why should I continue to make strides? And what Jesus is saying to us is that you will know that you belong to the family of God when you continue to pursue holiness throughout the entirety of your Christian life. 
You see, it's very true. We don't make great gains in holiness. We don't make great gains in holiness. Especially when we consider the holy standard God calls us to. Right? We barely scratch the surface. It is also true that now as believers, we can't obey the law of God perfectly. But the question becomes, should the lavishness of God's grace upon us cause us to no longer pursue holiness? Of course not. The lavishness of God's grace ought to be the thing that drives us to pursue holiness with every fiber of our being. The grace of God ought to engender gratitude from God's people. In the Heidelberg Catechism, question 114, they ask, can those who are converted to God keep these commandments perfectly? And the answer they give is no. But even the holiest men, while in this life, have only small beginnings of such obedience, yet so that with earnest purpose they live, they begin to live not according to some, but according to all of the commandments of God. You see, they answer, no, we can't live perfectly. And yes, we only make tiny fractions of progress in our Christian life. And yet we are to earnestly strive to obey all of God's commands. And so you have to ask yourself, do you obey all of God's commands? Not do you obey them perfectly, but do you make it your practice to obey the law of God? Not some of it, but all of the commands of God. Do you earnestly strive after that progress? Because the absence of holiness spells death. The absence of holiness spells death. Your behavior will reveal something, not only to you, but to those around you, about your faith. Right? Whether it is a, a living faith or a dead faith. Because a living faith never fails to produce good works. There used to be this popular idea, I'm sure it's still around today, I think it was more popular years ago, but that you could be a, a carnal Christian. Many of you I'm sure have heard of that. You could be a, a carnal Christian. You could at one moment of your life believe in Jesus. You can make this profession of faith and in the rest of your life you can live like a devil and still be a Christian. Well, the Scriptures know nothing of the sort. But what they do teach us is that those by whom God's grace has grabbed hold of, He will make sure that you produce holiness in your life. God will produce that holiness in your life. And so we have to ask, do you have the fire of grace stirring in your hearts that causes you to obey the law of God? Do you have the fire of God's grace in your hearts causing you to want to obey the law of God? Are you willing to do what's right in the face of pressure from family? Are you willing to do what's right in the face of pressure from friends or from your co-workers or from classmates? Are you willing to do what's right in a day and age today where society is quick to, to, to cancel you as we live in this cancel culture? Well, that means having to answer the hard question, right? Who, it is, who is it that you are loyal to? 
Who is it that you are loyal to? And you have to honestly answer that question for yourself. Is it God or is it man? Are you loyal to God or man? And as you sit here today, I ask, do you revere God? Do you revere God? Are you fearful? Are you afraid of infringing upon the law of God? Because I tell you, that is how you will know that you love God. Not that you don't sin, but that it pains you to the core when you do. I wonder if any of us would be willing to say, honestly, the exact same thing that St. Anselm said, who was the Bishop of Canterbury in the 11th century, a great Christian mind and theologian. He said this, if sin were on one side, and if hell were on the other side, I would rather leap into hell then willingly offend my God. Wow. Wow. Most people, I don't care if you're an unbeliever or believer, would jump 10,000 times into sin before they ever said, I would consider jumping into hell so as to not offend a holy and righteous God. God in His glory are far less precious to us than they ought to be. And we know that because even believers wake up every day and sin against God, not giving one care that they transgress the law of a holy and righteous God. But so many people who profess faith will be shocked on that day. On that day when Christ returns. Although they shouldn't be if they sat back and they contemplated their life. right? Because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name and cast demons out in Your name and do mighty works in Your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew You. Depart from Me, you workers of lawlessness. And so as you sit here today in your chairs, I ask, are you strangers to doing the will of God? James says, be doers of the Word, not just hearers, deceiving yourselves. If you do not do the will of God, if God's values aren't your values, if God's choosings are not your choosings, then you have no reason to think that you belong to God's family. Those who belong to God's family resemble its head. They reflect His character. And they exhibit His values. And Jesus Christ loved the law of God. He fulfilled the law at every point. In fact, it was His fulfilling the law that secured your eternal redemption. And so I ask, have you been renewed by the Spirit? Have you been renewed by the Spirit? For if you have, brothers and sisters, you have been set apart now to reflect the glory of God. And you have been tasked with obeying His will cheerfully. Yet, be careful 
never to substitute the law for the Gospel. Do not think that you will find favor with God by doing works of righteousness. Rather, understand that righteousness comes only through Christ by faith. That is the only way anyone will ever find favor with God. And so I leave you then with one question. What family do you belong to? What family do you belong to? If you belong to the family of God, then seek after God's approval. Seek after God's glory. And seek after doing God's will. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we read Your Word, we can't help but to be saddened by our sin and our lack of love for holiness. And yet, also, Father, we cannot help but be grateful for You have shown great mercy to us in bringing us by Your will and power into the family of God. And so, Father, we just ask that as members of the family, You would create within us a greater desire to do the will of God, that we might glorify and honor You all the days of our life. And so, Father, we ask all these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.